ವಸುದೇವಸುತ ಕಂಸಚಾಣೋರಮರ್ದನಂದೇವಕೀಪರವಾನಂದಂದೇಜಗದ್ಗುರುಂಗ್ ದ ಸೆಕೆಂಡ್ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ಆಫ್ ದಿ ಭಗವದ್ಗೀತಾ ಇನ್ ದ ಸೆಕೆಂಡ್ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ವೇರ್ ಆರ್ ಥ್ರೀ ಗ್ರೇಟ್ ಥೀಮ್ಸ್ ದ ಫಸ್ಟ್ ಒನ್ ದ ಮೋಸ್ಟ್ ಇಂಪಾರ್ಟೆಂಟ್ ಒನ್ is jnana yoga the nature of the atman the te- teachings about who or what we really are that's from about verse number 11 to 23 i think 23 or 24 of the second chapter that's really crucial if there is a central theme that is the central theme of the entire bhagavad gita because remember in vedanta the idea is if we really know ourselves as we truly are then all our problems are solved that is spirituality that is religion but then what is it that we have to know about ourselves what is this true nature by knowing which all problems are solved it is the atman that we are infinite existence consciousness bliss not uh, uh, not this physical body mind complex physical or mental body mind complex and this is done through the process of vedanta vichara that is the vedantic inquiry into the self three steps you remember hearing contemplation and uh, meditation shravana manana nididhyasana listen to the truths study it properly you begin to get a grasp on it you understand what it is being taught and then once we understand what is being taught here understand the sense we get it okay this is what is being taught now we have many doubts i know the text tells me this but now i have got many questions so then we enter into the second phase reflection uh, contemplation where we raise questions and we argue it out we um, discuss it we study we think until we get clarity the first step is shravana the hearing or the study by which we know what the teaching is step 1 then it's complete if you can st- state to yourself in traditional schools they would m- make you memorize the whole thing and i've met so many people i haven't memorized the whole gita and there's a story behind it a sad tale <laughs> when we i joined the order uh, we had uh, a, a swami who insisted on the newcomers memorizing the gita so he would insist one verse per day so as long as he was our head uh, i memorized and i did about half the gita and i thought i would complete it in due course but it, uh, strangely enough the moment the pressure was taken off and the new swami came in charge um, i sort of um, slacked off yes but anyway and but there were others who were much more uh, sincere than me and and i know some of my friends who completed though many many who memorized the whole gita uh, in fact there was one swami i never met him but he was famous for being a master of the bhagavad gita um ramsuk das ji he was in in the himalayas in um in uh, rishikesh a place called swargashram so in one place uh, he says uh, you know when i my mind feels disturbed what i do is i just sit quietly and mentally recite the whole bhagavad gita and so my mind calms down i said oh 
the whole bhagavad gita if you recite that definitely your mind will calm down <laughs> um so that is this one that is only the first stage when you know the teaching after this comes do you do we really understand it do we have clarity do we see yes it is so the book tells me that and i also get it it is so that is the end of the second stage the stage of mananam thinking thinking in fact the name the sanskrit word for muni muni means a sage uh, is comes from mananam the one who contemplates these uh, high spiritual matters but after that also one more problem remains one might still feel that i i, I know the teachings and i get it i understand it very well but still it's not a living truth to me i have not yet made it a, a realization a, a living reality so that is that is tackled by meditation at the third stage when we try to assimilate what we have studied and what we have we are now we have got clarity it becomes a living truth by the process of nididhyasana or vedantic meditation and the whole of this is called jnana yoga the path of knowledge and this is the great theme of say verses from 11 to 23 or 24 uh, of the second chapter then what happens what about the rest of our life the work that you are doing uh, arjuna was a householder he was a prince and he was in the nastiest business possible uh, uh, warfare he was a warrior what do i do with that do i give it all up and become a monk so sri krishna gives the unique advice of the bhagavad gita that no whatever work we are doing in whatever station of life as long as it's not completely immoral we can actually make it spiritual we can make it a spiritual practice what spiritual practice is this it is called karma yoga why should i do this study reason and meditate that should give me enlightenment should doesn't and there's so many people who come as i've been attending classes all my life and i've got a whole uh, uh, cabinet full of notes and tapes and nowadays a hard disk full of recordings but i'm not illumined i'm not enlightened what's happening what's happening is the mind is not prepared so that's where all the spiritual practices that we hear about um in the different religions of the world all the spiritual practices that's where it comes in to prepare the ground for enlightenment devotion service um meditation all of them will be talked about but primarily first of all what do you do with your life so that you can become spiritual you can realize these truths so that is taught in karma yoga how to spiritualize action one way is the way of the monk to give up action altogether and arjuna was ready to do that arjuna was ready to do that but sri krishna says wait a minute no whatever you're doing now you change the attitude towards that and you will uh, get enlightenment so that was the great teaching of karma yoga and all these themes will be amplified in future chapters there are 18 chapters in the bhagavad gita whatever has to be taught the central teaching has been given but we have many many questions and arjuna will ask these questions for us as he asks you will feel that i had this question so those questions will come up in um, chapters 3 to 18 to understand these chapters we must first know this chapter 2 chapters 3 to 18 is basically amplification amplification of chapter 2 so chapter 2 is central 
Now, after Karma Yoga, remember I said there are three great themes in this chapter two. After Karma Yoga, the third theme which is remaining, which is going to start today, is um, the characteristics of the perfected one. The question is, what are the results of all of this? What do we get out of it? What's the point of it all? So, alright, I get enlightened. So what? Uh, what happens? What is the result? More specifically, we know the result. You are promising that all your problems will be solved. You, go, you attain bliss. Um, the way Arjuna poses this question is, not, he does not directly ask about the result. He asks, how will my life be different? Remember, he's a warrior. He's an eminently practical person. So he says, don't promise me something in heaven. Don't, don't promise me something afterwards, after death. No, here and now. Not there in heaven. No, here. What will I get here? Not after death. Now. If I become enlightened, what will it be like now? How will I be different? How will I be any different after this enlightenment? So that's the fundamental question. That question Arjuna will ask. Um, what are the characteristics of the enlightened person? Uh, before we get to that, you know, um, we, I, there are two more verses remaining in Karma Yoga. We had done up to verse number 51, I think, last time. So just two more verses before we start the next grand theme. One of the most beautiful sections of the entire Bhagavad Gita. Certainly second chapter 2 is famous for that. It's called Sthita Pragyasya Lakshanani. That means the characteristics of the perfected one, the enlightened one. The one whose knowledge is literally, Sthita Pragya is a very nice term. It means, Pragya means enlightenment. Sthita means stabilized. You know, note that so many people ask, I get it, but the moment I step out of the Vedanta society, it's all gone again. So it's not stable. How do I stay there? We keep asking, how do I stay there? So the one who stays there, what are the characteristics of such a person? What will I be like when I'm like that? Now before that, there are two more verses to finish. Uh, those verses deal with what happens when Karma Yoga is completed? What ha happens when Jnana Yoga is completed? So he talks about it. When will I become enlightened? Verses 52 and 53. 52. Yadate moha kalilam Yadate moha kalilam Buddhir vyatita rishyati Buddhir vyatita rishyati Tadaganta sinir vedam Tadaganta sinir vedam Shrotavyasya shrutasya cha Shrotavyasya shrutasya cha Can you all he hear at the back? You can all hear? Yeah. So what is the meaning of this verse? When you shall go beyond the darkness of delusion When your understanding goes beyond the darkness of delusion That means when you are enlightened then you will go beyond or you will become indifferent to or you will transcend. It, it's put beautifully. Whatever has been heard and whatever is yet to be heard. What does that mean? Um, delusion. The word moha and the word kalilam. Kalilam means darkness. Moha means delusion. So what delusion are they talking about here? What is this delusion? 
the commentators help us here dehatma buddhi that i am this body mind system this material system i am this much that's all who i am this is called identification with the body mind complex identification with body mind complex sounds very philosophical and fancy but it's exactly the way we think and behave here i am how tall are you how much do you weigh if you say i'm 6 feet tall and i weigh 200 pounds does pure consciousness weigh 200 pounds and is consciousness 6 feet tall of course not so you are talking as the body we're talking as the mind i am happy miserable uh, i am intelligent or i'm dumb whatever it's the mind yeah. so the body mind identification with body mind is called delusion um dehatma buddhi the word kalilam is darkness actually or maze there is a beautiful description kalilam gahanam viduhu gahanam means a maze or darkness um, or uh, um um a depth ganam so this delusion in which we are trapped is not an easy one it is called ganam a, a deep one a dark a deep darkness buddhi vyatitarishyati the word means when your understanding transcends this or when you become enlightened when do you become enlightened by the practice of karma yoga and what is this practice the commentator says beautifully when by dedicating all our actions to god whatever i'm doing is a worship of my beloved lord by the grace of god my i get enlightenment so it's a very devotional kind of commentary one commentator puts it that way then what happens you become indifferent or you do you are not interested in worldly pursuits anymore that does not become central to life anymore shrotavyasya shrutasya cha the two words are very interesting that uh whatever is to be heard and whatever is uh whatever has been heard you will transcend them whatever is to be heard and whatever has been heard you will transcend what does it mean whatever has been heard literally means whatever you have experienced in life see we are trapped in two things one is what we have got in life the people we are with the jobs that we do the habits that we have the possessions that we have the way we behave think our precious ideas which we already have those are all attachments of body of mind of intellect that's what we have he calls it what has been heard whatever we have experienced our memories pleasant memories unpleasant memories traumas guilt is all what has been heard experienced this is where we are trapped another thing which traps us is what will happen next we have certain fancies this will happen why what's the point i'll be happy then if uh, if this happens so that's one group of things which which keeps us bound i want such and such things um then it then i'll be happy we call it if 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 only if only yeah if only is a nice word if only this word if only expresses um eagerness uh, a, a kind of yearning if only and the other kind if only if only i get that job if only um uh i i can buy that house or if only i can go on that cruise or if only that person likes me and so on if only and the other one which traps us is what if 
anxieties, fears. <laughs> fears and anxieties. What if this happens? What if that happens? The cold, creepy feeling in the tummy. What if that happens? So what if and if only, this is the thing which is to be heard. This is a shrotabhya. What is in the future? Both of those you transcend. If only, there is no question of if only. What if, there is no fear of what if. How is this possible? What is there which is beyond what if and if only? In the present you, your own reality. What if and if only refer to objects? No? A person, a thing, a situation, something... An achievement, a failure, these are the, the uh, what if and if only. But what if and if only do not refer to you the subject. And Vedanta talks about your nature. Once you become aware of that, then these don't matter. What if and if only do not matter. Yesterday I was at uh, Stony Brook University. Uh, a very great philosopher, Professor Arindam Chakravarti, uh, whom who was in the University of Hawaii, but very nice that uh, news for us. He has come to New York. So he has got a job in Stony Brook University. And yesterday was an inaugural lecture of a particular chair, which he gave. Pain, poetry and philosophy. <laughs> yeah. There's a connection. What is the point of all spirituality? To overcome suffering. So pain, that's the beginning. How does the Buddha become the Buddha? There is pain. How do I overcome pain? Dukkha, transcending. So pain. Pain is related to philosophy. Poetry, very interesting. Even before all this Vedanta, Adi Shankaracharya and all the great uh, teachers of Vedanta, Ramanuja, the great Acharyas, Ramanujacharya, Shankaracharya, Ram, Madhvacharya, they are not the founders of Vedanta. Before them were the rishis who were inspired with the Upanishads, which are the source of Bhagavad Gita uh, and all later Vedanta. And one name for those rishis, for those great sages of the Upanishads, very interesting name they had, an ancient name, Kavi. Kavi means, in modern Indian languages, it means poet. But the original uh, meaning of Kavi was, there's a Sanskrit definition, Kranta Drashta, the one who sees to the furthest ends, who sees through the everything. Who sees straight through to reality. So Kavi is, is the, the greatest of sages are the Kavi. Um, to, in today's word, language, poet. <laughs> so pain, poetry and philosophy. All related. Very nicely related. But anyway, about pain, he made a very interesting, he quoted from one of the Buddhist uh, sutras. Where Buddha is saying, you know what suffering is like? It's like a man hit by an arrow. It burns, it stings, it hurts. And immediately hit, he's hit by a second arrow. Two arrows. And that is suffering. What is suffering? The first arrow is the circumstances of life. People misbehave with, with, uh, with you. Or there is uh, illness and death and um, failure and humiliation. These are the, this is the first arrow. What could be the second arrow? Wait for it. The second arrow is our reaction to it. These are the ones which cause suffering. The second arrow, the agony inside, 
the the trauma inside the actual suffering which you feel inside the inner experience of suffering that's the second arrow and the buddha politely says that he cannot do anything about the first one but his his philosophy will take care of the second one that's what spirituality does actually sri ramakrishna note he's suffering from cancer did spirituality cure his cancer no he died from cancer then what did it cure it cured the suffering dukkha so the so the real suffering is from the second narrow the internal the thing the first one it will come but after if you cure the second one if you remove the second one the first one doesn't sting anymore the sting of the first one is the second narrow that is removed it's because of the sting of the first arrow that we are keep keep looking after you know what if if only that will go away if this is uh, taken care of so at the culmination of gyana yoga and karma yoga this happens one more verse and then we are done with the teaching karma yoga teaching 5053 shruti vipratipannate श्रुति विप्रतिपन्नाते यदा स्थास्यति निश्चला यदा स्थास्यति निश्चला समाधौ अचला बुद्धि समाधौ अचला बुद्धि तदा योगम अवाप्स्यसी तदा योगम अवाप्स्यसी श्रुति विप्रतिपन्ना व्हेन यू आर Right now, our mind is confused by literally hearing Shruti. Why is he using this language, Shruti Vipratipan, as if it is confused by hearing? Basically, what he is referring to, he is referring to the karma kanda of the Vedas, actually, which is also Shruti. Shruti means the teachings of the Vedas. Now, the earlier part of the Vedas, the karma kanda, the ritualistic portion of the Vedas, they promise many worldly and otherworldly pleasures. in this life whatever you want you can get it perform these rituals and give me my cut as the priest you will get and so there are rituals for a child uh, for and in those very patriarchal days it was usually a male child so <laughs> son and for rainfall or for defeating an enemy all worldly things and uh, if you do these rituals you will get this another worldly going to heaven and there's not one heaven multiple heavens are there and i'm sure the commission the priest gets gets becomes higher and higher yeah. not very different from wall street today also so whatever is there are high risk investments also <laughs> so all of this is promised and why would religion promise this it is for you will ask if this is all worldly and other worldly these are pleasures these are not really spiritual why would then the vedas promise all these things remember two kinds of people come to religion one kind those who have faith in god in religion in some kind of belief but they are basically worldly people so we want happiness in this world and in the next world can religion help me can god help me and answer is yes god can help so for them to make them to make them a little more moral to make them a little more ethical so that they are ready for the higher religion spirituality so that is dharma a moral life a moral life yes you fulfill your demands in the world but in a moral and ethical way and we are sure will show you how
So it attracts them. And it creates a kind of faith in religion. But that's the mass religion. The higher religion, what we might call spirituality, is what the Gita is about, the Upanishads are about. When you really want to know what's the point of it all, how do I overcome suffering? Not just manage suffering and snatch a little bit of pleasure. Not just like that. Um, yesterday, the professor was describing what is the search for pleasure like in this world? And he gave a beautiful uh, example from the Mahabharata. So there is this person who gets lost in a forest. And the forest is this guarded by this terrible witch who is none other than desire. Later it's revealed who is the witch it is desire. And everywhere you cannot escape. It's surrounded by these five terrible snakes. The five snakes are the five sense organs. And then he slips down uh, and he falls off a precipice. And his feet get tangled in uh, uh, creepers of, of a tree. And he's, he's dangling there. And there is a, um, a beehive from which honey is dripping. That is sense pleasures. Honey is dripping from the beehive. And there are rats, black and white, day and night. Who are gnawing away at the tiny creeper which is holding the ankle. That is life, the cord of life. Daily, day and night, the rats of days and nights are gnawing away at our life lifespan. Slowly it is tearing apart and it will plunge down into death. And what does this man do in these terrible circumstances? He waits for the next drop of honey and licks it. And enjoys it and is waiting for the next drop to come. Then enjoys it. That is worldly enjoyment. What a depressing way of looking at it. In the retreat in San Diego where I was, Swami Atmarupanji, he mentioned this. He said um, that thinkers of the West, some thinkers of the West have said, thought that the Indian thought is pessimistic. They say the world is suffering. But really Indian thought is not pessimistic. Indian thought says the world indeed is suffering, but there is a way out. There is suffering, but there is a way out of suffering. There is a way of attaining uh, deep, lasting satisfaction and bliss. There is a way of making life meaningful. So it's actually, ultimately Indian thought is optimistic. Every system of Indian thought, Buddhism, Jainism, all the schools of Hinduism, they offer. So religion basically, not only Indian, all religion is basically optimistic because the whole point of religion is that there is a solution. In contrast, the Swami mentioned, our so-called optimistic modern thought is deeply pessimistic, defeatist. What does modern thought say? It is true that there is no meaning in life. It is true that death is an end. There is nothing else beyond that. Make the best of it. This is optimism. <laughs> this is exactly that man dangling. The rats of day and night <laughs> eating away at the roots and licking the That man might say, yeah, this is the situation. What can I do? A few more drops of honey let me taste and then... Disaster. This is not optimism. <laughs> so, he says, Shruti Vipratipanna. But in the higher spirituality, when you look back upon the ritualistic portions of the Vedas, all the things that they promised, your mind was confused. What should I want? What, what do I want? So, no, when you give up all of that, when you move beyond it, to the spiritual quest. What is the meaning of life? Is there nirvana, moksha, God realization? Is it possible? Then he says, Buddhistasyati nishchala. Then your mind 
settles down on one goal the highest goal of human life before that flickering one to another to another to another that's how life goes on now you have a, a overarching goal a final goal of human life moksha nirvana enlightenment salvation whatever you call it the great spiritual adventure which has been going on from millennia and if you are blessed with it we all are because otherwise you wouldn't be here we all have a spiritual quest otherwise why would we come here it's a great great blessing remember whatever happens in life this is the one which will remember you can hold me accountable to this at the end of our lives we'll see the only worthwhile thing that we did one is when whatever good we did to others that's a worthwhile thing and the thing which really makes gives meaning to life and purpose and aim to life is a spiritual quest whichever way you put it self realization or god if you are devotional philosophical whatever your uh, proclivity is samadhau vachala buddhi tada yogam avapsyasi so what is the meaning of this when your mind settles down and becomes st- stabilized in what samadhau in samadhi here samadhi however does not mean the yogic samadhi it can mean that but the commentators are all unanimous in saying here samadhi actually means god or the atman in advaita samadhi here means the atman for example this commentator says samadhiyate chittam asminiti samadhi parameshwara in which the mind becomes absorbed ultimately that is samadhi not the absorption of the mind itself but in which ultimately the mind becomes absorbed what is that here he says parameshwara shankara and others would say atma itself the real self so that is samadhi when your mind becomes steady in that then you attain to yoga tada yogam avapsyasi what do you mean attain to yoga and the commentator says you attain to the result of yoga the whole point of all of this when you become enlightened all right that is the conclusion of the teaching about karma yoga gyana yoga has been taught karma yoga has been taught now arjuna moves on he is curious he asks this question what if one becomes enlightened then how does life change what is the enlightened person like how is that person different from me that's one reason for the question uh, second reason for the question is we all ask this question you know we don't ask exactly how is an enlightened person what is the enlightened person like but we do all ask this question how do i know i'm progressing in spiritual life many of us we ask this question sometimes out loud or sometimes just to ourselves that's an answer what's coming up here is an answer to this question how do i know that i'm progressing in spiritual life i was just reading swami turiyananda ji a devotee asks him how do i know i'm progressing in spiritual life exactly this question and he says a few things first he said that um, you will understand yourself and others will notice it to you or to in you Swami Ashokananda I remember he says uh, to a group of devotees that is in 1950s in San Francisco uh, he says as you come to vedanta and progress in spiritual life you will lose interest in many things of the world you see what the gita just said all that has been heard and yet to be heard you transcend you don't you're not interested anymore you're not interested in the if onlys and what ifs 
Neither the terrors nor the temptations. As you lose interest in this, and this becomes more and more important, you may not be interested in many of the activities you used to do earlier. And Ashokanji says, um, then people will think, oh, she has become a bore. Uh, mummy has become a bore. That's exactly as I'm quoting him. Mummy has become a bore as, uh, from the time she has started going to the Vedanta Society. And Ashokanji, I'm quoting Ashokanji. Ashokanji says, good riddance, I say. <laughs> Very soon you will find deep peace within yourself. Your life will become a blessing to you and very soon a blessing to others. Soon others will notice this about you and they will then become attracted to, to the peace and the holiness that you radiate. So, Turiyaranji says, you will notice it yourself and others will notice it. Notice what? Two things. One, he says, the negativities will go down. Classically in Vedanta, negativity is six, the six enemies, so-called enemies. Karma, desire, intense passion or lust, karma, krodha, anger. This will go down. It's not supposed to increase. So, karma, krodha, lobha, greed. Then, uh, madam, arrogance, matsarya, jealousy, envy. And then um, is moha, delusion. So it's the sixfold uh, enemies of spiritual life. But in, these are this one list. You can have an, another list also. The long lists are there. Uh, so those ones will go down. Remember, he does not promise that they will disappear. Kama, krodha, lobha, madha, matsarya, moha. Desire, anger, greed, arrogance. Um, envy and delusion, confusion. These will go away or reduce. He does not say it will be like a switch thrown, it will all be gone at an instant. No. Over time, they will reduce. The reactions will be less. Your recovery will be much faster. They will not ruffle you so much. Others will also notice. You will get peace. Then this gentleman asks Swami Turiyananda, but I, peace really is very far away until one realizes, gets enlightened. Can we one get peace? And Turyanji says, yes, that peace is far away indeed. But before that, you will notice uh, this hankering for worldly things. If I get it, I'm gratified. If I don't get it, I'm ruined. I'm unhappy. It's just terrible. No, that will go down. If it comes, okay, nice. If it doesn't come, fine. That will come. And a pull towards, now the pull will be towards God. In whichever way you find it. So you will find a pull towards God. That shows progress in spiritual life. Now here Sri Krishna will give the indications. Whatever he will say from now on. Uh, from this verse number 55. 54 is the question, 55 onwards. Till the end of this chapter, second chapter, is an answer to this question. It indicates the, the indicators of spiritual life. How far along? How are we doing? If you want to uh, want an answer, take a look at the, what Krishna said to Arjuna and, and check inside. But check inside, not others. He's not spiritual. He's sort of half advanced and he's, he's, I, I am, uh, he's advanced but I'm catching up on him. And no, it happens. Yeah. I remember I was traveling in a train. I was a young monk at that time in India. And this couple was sitting elderly. And the lady was quite, um, I mean, she knew a lot of things and she was talking about uh, her spiritual experiences. When, and her husband was very quiet. 
and he uh, after the his wife went to sleep he sort of came and sat next to me and he in a worried way he said you know i think she's more advanced than me so whatever <laughs> <laughs> he's worried about it a little jealous and a little resentful so how to catch up <laughs> no not for others always yourself it's meant to check uh, within another thing the commentators point out the characteristics which will be mentioned now from now on shankaracharya says whatever the characteristics of the enlightened person are practices for spiritual seekers a very important observation one might think all right an enlightened person is like this so what it's nice to know this but what is it to me it is all to us because it these indicate the direction in which we should go in these situations if the enlightened person behaves in this way talks in this way we should try that and, and for us it will be practice it will be artificial it will be with an effort for the enlightened person it's natural that's how they normally live i remember a beautiful story of swami brahmananda the disciple of sri ramakrishna a spiritual giant so there's a beautiful description of how he goes to a temple in madurai and um, with other monks he enters the temple of the divine mother and he sweeps suddenly he takes a this broom and he takes it away from the sweeper and he sweeps the courtyard and they describe that sweeping you know like he is serving the divine mother by sweeping the temple in such an is the president of the ramakrishna order but it was a divine sight to watch that everybody stood thrilled to watch this you know the whole thing was uplifted then when he went into the temple another monk wanted to do that so he grabbed the broom and started doing it but the person who writes this that there is a world of difference the same action that is so natural and this is seems so artificial not bad monk is trying so we should try like that it won't be natural for us it will be a struggle for us and it takes a spiritual person to know what is natural and what is artificial i remember um in a in our main monastery in belurmat in india the big temple of sri ramakrishna so the pujari the priest there is a monk a monk by turns they do it so there's a chief pujari a chief priest who is also a monk the chief ritualist he is generally a spiritually very advanced so so the monk who was there earlier as the priest now he is too old to do that he used to do it and we thought he did everything casually you know he had been doing it all his life so 40 years or 50 years or something we thought he we used to think as young monks he's doing the puja sometimes he looks that way and does the puja and, <laughs> and he does the aarti like this and so on uh, and he's very relaxed and sort of and there was another younger priest um, younger monk who was his understudy the next so this swami was wonderful so beautiful it was so elegant uh the way he would do the puja the worship and everything and to imagine our surprise when one of the great swamis of our order whom i personally consider an enlightened soul he suddenly made a remark look when we were doing our we learning how to do the worship ritualistic worship look at the senior priest the monk who does the worship how elevated it is and look at the artificiality of the new one and so oh we saw that oh this new one is the, is the really good one and that one was so it so it seems to be so casual but no it's not that's not true so there's something 
which when it becomes internalized seems very relaxed and natural to you which so that that is the difference what is relaxed and natural to the enlightened one but is also important for us it's a practice for us i remember when somebody had come for some advice for to me i said you go to the that old priest who the who is sitting there he would he would he he it's a little hard of hearing so i said always go there first bow down there's a way to approach him bow down um then given make an offering and then go to his right ear that's what the ear he hears and then shout out your question so they did that and he gave an answer and they were very happy and they said thank you swami for telling us this and telling us about him then another swami who was watching the whole thing said there was a simple question you could have given the answer i said i know but the thing is there's a different power when they hear it from him they will actually go out and do it in my case they may or may not when he says the same thing he transmits a power to them there are so many things about that uh, senior swami so I, but i get distracted now coming back to arjuna's question shankaracharya says yani eva this is the exact commentary on the bhagavad gita at this point yani eva kritarthasya lakshanani tani eva sadakasya sadhanani yatna sadhyatvat whatever are the characteristics of the perfected one are the practices for the seeker why because with an effort you can attain to that state yatna sadhyatvat madhusudan saraswati another great master who's on whose commentary i have relied on this uh, uh, for this verse the arjuna's question madhusudan saraswati have you heard of him he was uh, about 600 years ago a contemporary of chaitanya mahaprabhu great philosopher great devotee great gyani extraordinary he wrote a fantastic book the most powerful book of vedanta philosophy advaita siddhi don't try it it's a brain fryer of a book he wrote that and one of the most beautiful commentaries on the bhagavad gita he wrote that too so i was using it today studying it till just before coming here it is called gudhartha deepika a lamp to illumine the deep meaning of the bhagavad gita the meaning of that a lamp a little lamp which illumines the hidden meanings of the bhagavad gita so there he says whatever are the characteristics of the jivan mukta are the sadhana practices for the rest of us that's why this question is important so two things are important um what are the characteristics we have to practice that second we can also understand how far along we are our this question will plague us for a long time how are we doing <laughs> so uh, don't worry too much about it one swami said it's like you planted a little sapling you want to see how it's doing it's like a foolish gardener who keeps pulling it up to see how it's growing <laughs> verse number 54 arjuna vacha arjuna vacha sthita pragnasya ka bhasha sthita pragnasya ka bhasha samadhisthasya keshava samadhisthasya keshava sthitadhikim prabhasheta sthitadhikim prabhasheta किमासीत व्रजेत किम किमासीत व्रजेत किम ओ कृष्ण केशव हो कृष्ण हाउ वुड यू डिफाइन 
a one of stabilized wisdom, an enlightened one of stabilized enlightenment. An enlightened one, how would you define? How would you describe? How would you describe the one who is in samadhi? And how would you describe how, how is this person when this person is active? Not in samadhi, but when we are not in samadhi, we have to sit. We, we try to sit quietly and withdraw from the world or we engage with the world. So how does this person withdraw from the world? How does he control himself and withdraw inwards? And how does he go outwards and engage with the world? You know, Kimasita, um, how does he sit? Kim Prabhasheta, how does he talk? He or she. Kim Rajeta, how does he move around? Basically, what is the difference between that person and the rest of us? The general activities of the world. He says, sitting, talking, moving around. Of course, there are deep meanings of each word. It's not just how does he sit. You can just say, well, he sits in a chair. But no, it doesn't mean that. Um, they are deep meanings. But it's also true that what are the differences in the little actions? There's a beautiful Zen story of two students who came to a reputed Zen master. And they stayed in the Zen school, hoping to become an illumined. And the master did not give them any classes, you know, days went by and they had to do all the duties of the, you know, in the, in the school. One of the students became impatient. And um, he said, I, I don't want to stay here anymore. It's just a waste of time. There are no classes. He's not teaching us anything. I wanted to learn about Zen, about enlightenment, about Buddhism. What did the other, other student calmly asks, why, what, what were you expecting? I wanted to learn about Buddhism, about Zen, about enlightenment, you know, about meditation. He's not a philosophy. He is not teaching us anything. Aren't you uh, dissatisfied? The other student said, no. Why? What did you expect? What did you come here to learn? He said, I came here to see how he ties his shoelaces. <laughs> you see, the small things. I want to watch that. And he says, I'm satisfied just by seeing it. So, how does he talk, sit, walk? But there are deeper meanings in this. First of all, the word sthita pragya is beautiful. Pragya means enlightened. It means uh, jnana, special wisdom, enlightenment. So the one who has realized the Atman within by the practice of all of those things has realized. Not only realized, stabilized. Sthita. There is no more doubt anymore. No more confusion. No more slipping away. That inside the Vedanta society I'm okay. Outside I'm not okay. No, nothing like that. Inside, outside, here, there, now and then, whenever, I'm alright. I'm perfectly alright. So that is Sthita Pragya. Established beyond any doubt. There is, which is the best place, an enlightened person will see, uh, wherever I am right now. Which is the best time, right now. <laughs> A mature person will say, what is the best time of your life? We'll say, right now. Even at the point of death, we'll say, right now. This is the best. Why? Because the divine is present right here. What could, what could be better than this? So, stabilized wisdom, beyond any possibility of being, Disturbed. Now, this I'm taking from Madhusudana's commentary, Gurhartha Deepika. He says there is a couple. There's a thing to be known here. The enlightened person 
has two states. Be careful here. The enlightened person, if you ask the enlightened person, what are you? It's a Brahman. What is all this? It's Brahman. I am that reality. That's it. But the two states we observe from outside. And all of these things become very clear, the utmost clarity, if you see the life of Sri Ramakrishna. Notice the two states he was in. One was in devotion and ecstasy when he's uh, in, in, in devotion, he's teaching, talking, singing, um, mixing with the devotees, active, recognizing the external world and dealing with it. That's one state. And the other state is um, in, in ecstasy, absorbed in samadhi, completely forgetful of the world, even his own body. The doctor saw that the heartbeat has stopped. The eye does not blink. He touched the eyeball. The doctor Mahendran Sarkar, he tested. He touched the eyeballs, the most sensitive part. No blinking at all. Completely lost to this world. Absorbed within samadhi. So these are the two states. And remember, strictly speaking from Advaitic point of view, these are not two states. From the enlightened person's point of view, there are no two states. There is only one state. Inwards Brahman, outwards Brahman. Only inwards is Brahman, beyond name, beyond form, transcendent. And outwards it's Brahman, immanent. I see the entire universe, but I know it is Brahman. But for the enlightened person with eyes closed and eyes open, it's the same thing. But from the, that point of view, external point of view, we clearly see two states. And that's what Arjuna is asking. One question, the first question is, how is this enlightened person, when, when this person is in Samadhi? What's it like when he completely absorbed, transcending this worldly experience of ours? What's it like? And the other he says, three more questions are regarding when he is awake to this world. When this person is awake to this world, our world, how does this person walk, talk, sit? So four questions. How is he in Samadhi? This question number one. And then second, third, fourth are about this external, extern, externalized state. Walk, um, sit, walk, seek, sit, talk, walk. Asita, Prabhasheta, Brajeta. So, there are technical terms for these two states in Vedanta. One, state, one term is Samadhista. Absorbed in Samadhi. Internalized. Brahman only, nothing else. No Maya, no world, no name and form. Not even body, not even mind. The second one is, it's a Vedantic, Advaitic term, Vyutthana. Vyutthana. The word Vyutthana means um, arising up. It's like you're swimming and you dive into the pool. And then you float up. When you float up out of the water, that's Vyutthana, arising up. Rising up to an awareness of the world. But the person knows Vyutthana or Samadhi, it's the same Brahman. That, that must be clear. The state is not a state of the person. Because if you see that, that enlightened person is not a person anymore. The enlightened person knows I am Brahman. Brahman does not have two states. But the mind of the enlightened person, from our perspective, undergoes these two states. An inward-oriented samadhi, an outward-oriented seeing the same Brahman as this world. Sri Ramakrishna used to say, What? When I close my eyes, God is there. When I open my eyes, God is not there. What kind of God is that? Of course God is there. It's the same God I see outside. 
So Sthita Pragya, first one is in Samadhi, in absorption, what is this enlightened person like? Question one. Question two, in Vyutthana, arising from Samadhi and looking upon the world, three questions. Prabhasheta, how does this person talk? Again from Madhusudan Saraswati. What does this person praise? What does this person criticize? What does this person talk about at all? And then, how does this person sit? Sit means, how does this person withdraw? Bahir Indriya Nigraha. Is it like us when we try to withdraw from life or is it something different? And third is, Vrajeta, moves about. Moves about here means, again Madhusudana says, how does this person interact? How does this person act in the world? So basically he's asking, you know, he's not asking for an external depiction. He's asking, how does the enlightened person feel from within? It's a very deep question. If you ask for an external depiction, then it's not such a very difficult question. Because the lives and biographies of saints are there, they're external depictions. What they did, what they said, we can read about it. But he says, Madhusudana points out, that he is asking Krishna because Krishna is an avatar. He knows the inner world of an enlightened person. So Krishna alone can tell him, what is it like from inside to be an enlightened person? I remember we asked this question to Swami Bhuteshanandaji. Once, this discussion was going on. Swami Bhuteshanandaji was the 12th president of our order in our main monastery. And I was very lucky to be present on the occasion. So the question, this question answer was going on. And how does an enlightened person, what, what's an, what is it like to be enlightened? That's the question, same question here. And the questioner, a young monk, asked the Swami, who was by that time 98 years old, 98, or just 97 plus. Um, we see the enlightened person, they're the sages, Ramakrishna, or the other sages of different religions. We see them, they talk, and they walk, and they eat, and they can see the difference between people and things and objects. They behave like us. So you see God everywhere, you're seeing Brahman everywhere, but, but they, they behave like us. They see the differences among us. They know what is to be eaten, what is not to be eaten, where to go, what not to do, everything they know. So they are seeing the world like us, right? That, that was the question. We see that they are doing these things. And then the Swami's answers were very, very deep. We see that they are doing these things. And the Swami said, that's what you see. He would speak very slowly. That's what you see. And why we, we are asking him? Because we had this feeling with this idea that we felt he is an enlightened person. That's why we were asking. So that's what you see. And then the questioner said, Ah, that's what we are asking Swami. What does an enlightened person see? That's precisely the question. What does the enlightened person see or feel from within? What does the enlightened person... The exact question was, what does the enlightened person see? And you know what the Swami's answer was? I'll give you the exact answer. Make of it what you will. What does the enlightened person see? And the Swami's answer, direct. Just two words. Who sees? You know what it means, as far as I can understand? We have this feeling, just like I'm a person. We feel that the enlightened person is also person-like. Maybe a little wiser, he knows many more, the whole Gita, I know only half of it. <laughs> Another person. Maybe a nicer person. 
No, it's not like that at all. It's far deeper than that. It's not a person there anymore. Looks like that, but it's not. His answer was in Bengali. In Bengali, the question was, Uni on Dakin, how does that one see? And the answer, he answered, Ke Dakin, who sees? And we feel at that, we used to feel at these times that he is not answering from a text. He was a great scholar, one of the greatest scholars of our order, but he was not answering from a text. He was, it's literally you could feel he, he's answering from direct experience, what he's experiencing at the moment. One sign of that was often the whole room would become surcharged. You couldn't speak anymore. Sometimes the, literally the hair on your uh, body would stand on end. Not static electricity, but, <laughs> but like that. And it would, be, it would be very awesome. This old little, old, he was tiny. And he was 98 years old. But he could dominate this room filled with two, three hundred monks. And we would sort of stand there and quietly until it was time to go away. His relationship with the Vedanta texts was very, very interesting with philosophy. He was one of the greatest scholars we had, but he wore his scholarship so lightly. He didn't want to write books until finally his talks were recorded and people transcribed it, edited it and a book was published. And I was there when somebody said, Swami, your book has been published. And he says, I heard I've written a book. <laughs> I hear that I've written a book. <laughs> it was like that. Now, one beautiful story, which struck me because one of the schools of philosophy I was fascinated with is the Nyaya school. It's the school of logic. Especially the school of new logic, Navya Nyaya, which is also a thousand years old. It's India, so even new logic is a thousand years old. Um, extraordinary. It's the most sophisticated form of logic until the development of modern mathematical logic and all. But before that, no doubt about it. So I was very fascinated by it. And I actually went out and took courses. I mentioned it earlier also. I took um, three courses. Each course was from a scholar in his Asiatic society. Each course was 15 days, 5 hours each. And if you want to know what it's like, one of the courses was 15 days, 5 hours each at a stretch of discussing. You won't, uh, I'm not kidding you. The topic was nothing. <laughs> Abhava, absence. What is, what is nothing? How do you talk about nothing? How do you philosophize about nothing? What is an absence? And that was discussed for 15 days, 5 hours a day. There were um, philosophers, um, um, mathematicians, computer science people, mostly professors from different, or, or graduate students from different universities. I was the only monk. And the, the pundit, the scholar would come and painstakingly write uh, on the blackboard. He's an old scholar. He would write a sentence. There is no pot on the table. The same clay pot which we read in Advaita Vedanta, it's also there in Nyaya. But there, it's, the example is there is no pot on the table. In Sanskrit, Bhutale Ghato Nasti. There's no pot on the table. And the rest of the day would be spent in analyzing that sentence. What does it mean? Um, till one day, this was in a place, those were from Calcutta, they know. It's called the Asiatic Society. Um, the Vidya Sagar Hall. It's a big hall. It's so the caretaker of that hall, who would open the hall and you know, take care of the facilities there, 
the caretaker of the hall who would watch these proceedings um, with, um, mystified, he approached me. I think he, I was only a monk. I think he felt safe with me. All others are fancy folk. So he came to me and he said, Swami, if you want a pot, I can get one. It's available outside. <laughs> I mean, these guys are cribbing about a pot. You know, every day they come and complain. There's no pot. <laughs> I can get one. It's like our snake and rope example. So why am I telling you this? So I spent or misspent <laughs> and there, were, there would be exams there would actually be exams and then uh, after that those exams would be graded and I still have the grades <laughs> and then your errors would be nicely discussed and shredded in front of everybody else <laughs> they treated me gently being a monk anyhow so I'm fascinated by that uh, subject that, that branch of philosophy and Swami Bhuteshwaranji was a master of that one too. So here is, here is the story. One day we were talking with him and asking questions. And he said, those branches are not really necessary for your spiritual life. To understand Vedanta, you need to know a little bit of that logic, but not much. It's just introductory level. But he had studies much more. Then one of the monks said, not me, I was too junior to open my mouth, but... Another monk who also liked this kind of philosophy, he said, but Swami, there is a great joy in that kind of logical thinking, in that, that logical philosophy, philosophy of logic, neologic. In Bengali he said, There is a joy, there is a... His answer, look at the answer. A, per, a person who has mastered the entire field, he said, there is joy in playing chess also. What he meant was, it's a similar kind of joy. There's nothing spiritual about it. It's a rarefied intellectual joy. It's good, but it's not spiritual. If you have it, doesn't mean you're very spiritual. If you don't have it, doesn't mean that you've lost spirituality. In Bengali, he said, when he said, when somebody said, Nayati Anand in Bengali, he, he commented, This also there in chess, in playing chess. He had a very balanced approach to spiritual life. How does the one speak? How does the one restrain uh, the sense organs? How does this enlightened one interact with sense objects? How is it different from us? How does it feel from inside? What Bhutishanji was saying, who sees? This question, how does it feel to be enlightened from inside? So from next class onwards, Krishna's answer. It's a beautiful sequence which starts here and reaches a climax at the end of this chapter from up to verse number 72 from 55 to 72. Extraordinary. Beautiful. Profound. The highest Vedanta. And the highest poetry also. All those verses will come. That which is day to ordinary persons is night to the enlightened. And that which is uh, day to the enlightened is night to ordinary persons. Is darkness to ordinary persons. Verses like that, very beautiful ones. As the rivers flow into the ocean, and the ocean is not perturbed, not, does not overflow its banks, it absorbs everything. So the entire gamut of worldly experiences flows into the consciousness of the enlightened one, and the enlightened one is not perturbed. So, like that. Very good. By the way, I'll just make this announcement now. I often speak about monks in the Himalayas. One of them is coming. 
Swami Sharvananda Giri. He's a traditional monk in uh, Uttarkashi. So, it's the second time he's visiting. Actually, there's Shivananda Ashram in Bahamas where I went. They have invited him. And he's going to come to the United States too for a few weeks. So, I invited him to this Gita class. So, it will be a different kind of experience. You will see the difference. <laughs> Uh, he is a very traditional teacher of Vedanta in, in the Himalayas, in, in a place called Uttarkashi. Uh, he will give the class in April. Um, I think it's April uh, 19th or something. I'll tell you, a Friday. A fr- just like this. So, let's hope that happens. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tatsat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu